Good morning, everyone, and welcome to morning worship here at Hillhead. I think most of you know that Katrina's on holiday this week, and so leading our service this morning is Chris Rosie. This is the second time that Chris um, has been with us, and it's great to have him back. Thank you, Chris. And lovely to see his wife, Pauline, here as well. Welcome, Pauline. Hope you both enjoy worshipping with us this morning, and that you'll stay and have a cup of tea or coffee with us after the service. Well, good morning. It's lovely to be uh, back here at Hillhead uh, Baptist Church. It's, I think it's been six months, actually, since I was here that time before. I don't know where the time's gone. Maybe that's a sign of me getting older. I'm not sure. But uh, it's brilliant to be here and to share worship with you here this morning. So let me just begin just by just sharing a little bit from Psalm uh, 95. Come, let us sing for joy to the Lord. Let us shout aloud to the rock of our salvation. Let us come before him with thanksgiving and extol him with music and song. Amen. Lord, this is the place and this is the time. Here and now God waits to break into our experience, to change our minds, to change our lives, to change our ways, to make us see the world and the whole of life in a new light, to fill us with hope, joy, and certainty for the future. Lord, let this be our prayer this day. Amen. Amen. Our reading today is from Acts chapter 5, beginning at verse 27. And that's page 154. They brought the apostles in, made them stand before the council, and the high priest questioned them. We gave you strict orders not to teach in the name of this man, he said. But see what you have done. You have spread your teaching all over Jerusalem, and you want to make us responsible for his death. Peter and the other apostles replied, We must obey God, not men. The God of our ancestors raised Jesus from death. After you had killed him by nailing him to a cross, God raised him to his right-hand side as leader and saviour to give the people of Israel the opportunity to repent and have their sins forgiven. We are witnesses to these things. We and the Holy Spirit, who is God's gift, to those who obey him. It's quite a dramatic reading that we've had there this morning. And this morning's sermon is the beginning of a series of sermons you're going to be doing based on the book of Acts. And uh, they're entitled Extraordinary. And you're going to be going through this journey, through the book of Acts. And you're going to visit various different locations that are found in the book of Acts. We're going to be going to Damascus. We're going to be going to Joppa. You're going to be going to Macedonia. Sounds like a great summer holiday, to be honest. But today, we start off in Jerusalem. And it's a great place to start. It's the obvious place to start the book of Acts. 
That's where everything gets started for the church. That's where the church is born. And there's a great, there's a ton of great stuff before we even reach um, our passage this morning. The book of Acts just sets off on a roller coaster pace. We start off in chapter 1 where Jesus ascends to heaven. He gives to the disciples, if you like, Luke's version of the, the Great Commission. You know, you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. Then it moves along. We have Matthias who is then becomes the, the replacement disciple, replacing Judas who had committed suicide. We then move on to Pentecost. And the Holy Spirit comes and empowers the church. We then have Peter addressing the crowd. And there's that mass conversion at the end of that chapter there. We have the great descriptions of the the fellowship of the first church. We have Peter healing the beggar on the, the street. We have Peter and John's arrest. We have then the death of Ananias and Sapphira. We then have all the miracles of the apostles. Then we have the apostles arrested And then they have that miraculous escape from prison. All before we get to our passage. It moves along at a massive pace. So what's so extraordinary about our passage? Well, the the title for this morning's sermon is Extraordinary Filling the City. And if you have your Bibles there, you'll you'll see that 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 phrase, filling the the city, is taken from verse 28, where it says, yet you have filled Jerusalem with your teaching. And that phrase, filled Jerusalem with your teaching, suggests that Jerusalem is like a cup filled to the full. The, The apostles' message is bursting out. The apostles have been very effective at getting their message out there. Jerusalem is buzzing with their message. The authorities are a bit worried. But if you think about it, why should the authorities be worried? What is it about the apostles' message that's got them worried? You know, hadn't the authorities killed off their leader? Jesus. Do the apostles have an army? Their leader had rejected violence. Are they, is an armed uprising likely? Probably not. Do they have any political power, any political clout? The apostles are fishermen, ex-tax collectors, ex-zealots. What real power did they have? And it was probably unlikely that any in the Sanhedrin were Christians. And if they were, they were probably keeping it quiet. A political coup was probably unlikely. But the authorities are worried. And they don't just have a couple of the apostles arrested, like it says earlier in the book of Acts, John and Peter. They have all the apostles arrested. And they're all dragged before the Sanhedrin. That would be like you and me being dragged in front of our parliament and asked and made to ask questions. 
it seems a bit over the top. So what is so extraordinary about the apostles' teaching? What has filled Jerusalem? What has got Jerusalem buzzing? What has got the authority so jumpy that they need to arrest all their leaders of this non-violent, politically powerless group? It seems a bit OTT. So what is it about the apostles' teaching? Well, from our passage that, that we all read there, we can see that there's, there's a few things that stand out. There's, without a doubt, there's a clarity in the apostles' message. They knew for certain, for certain, for certain that they, the church, embodied the continuing purposes of God. It says there in verse 30, the God of our fathers raised Jesus from the dead. They know that they are part of a long and proud history of what God is doing in the world. They knew with certainty what the church's mission was to be. It was to witness to Jesus. As it says in verse 32 there, we are witnesses of these things. And they knew with certainty the blessings that were part of their message. And that these blessings only came through Jesus. Again, as as it says in verse 31 there, God exalted him to his own right hand as prince and saviour that he might give repentance and forgiveness of sins to Israel. So there's clarity in their message. And that in itself had power. It got them worried. They knew what they were about. But backed up with that clarity was also there was courage in their message that made it extraordinary. Already we see the Sanhedrin has tried to silence their message. It says in verse 28, the high priest says to them, (coughs) We have gave you strict orders not to teach in this name. If you read on to the end of the chapter, you find that the apostles are punished. They're flogged and they're beaten for continuing to share their message and warned not to do it again. Now here we have this group of powerless apostles before the greatest power in their land, the Sanhedrin. They have power to put them to death. They've sent their leader to his death already. They've backed up their words before. But what do they say? They resolutely declare together, we must obey God rather than human beings. There is courage in their message behind them. And I suppose in the, the apostles' example there, we see how the church should stand firm in proclaiming its message. And it will face opposition and persecution. But although I think the apostles' message demonstrated great clarity and courage, I don't think that's what filled Jerusalem. 
I don't think that's what got the authorities worried. What is so extraordinary about their message is that it challenged everything. It would be wrong for us to simply limit the disagreement between the apostles and the Sanhedrin down to some small theological matter. They're not concerned here about some minor nuance about Christ's divinity or some technical aspect of the atonement. That is not, that is not what's worrying the, uh, the authorities. The authorities knew if the people believed the apostles' message, then they were in serious trouble. The apostles had clearly declared to them, the God of our ancestors raised Jesus from the dead, whom you killed by hanging him on a cross. The Sanhedrin knew if the apostles' message was true, then they had killed the Messiah. They had killed God's chosen one, the special one everyone had been waiting for. And if the people believed the apostles' message, they would lose everything. They would lose respect. They would lose credibility. Who's going to listen or seek advice from people who can't even recognize the Messiah? They would lose their authority to rule. No wonder the apostles' teaching had filled Jerusalem, had got Jerusalem buzzing. Because everything hung on it. No wonder the high priest demanded they stop teaching because he could see how it made them guilty of this man's blood. But I suppose for me, the, the saddest thing in this episode is that the Sanhedrin are so focused on what they might lose, their respect their status, that they don't embrace the greater blessing on offer. Even there with the apostles before, before them, they are given that offer to repent and to have their sins forgiven. But they don't see it. It's so sad. So it's... Um, it's unlikely that we're going to be dragged up in front of Parliament. I don't think Alex Salmon's going to have me dragged through to Edinburgh you know, to, to you know, hold account for my message today. But what is extraordinary about our message? Are we filling Jerusalem? Is our message creating a buzz? Is our message challenging everything. Of course, when I'm saying challenging everything, I don't mean that it's something just to annoy people with, or it's petty-minded, picking needless holes in trivial matters. What I mean is, does our message have something to say? Does it challenge the values, the characteristics, the behaviors, the direction of the world around us? What does our message have to say? For example, about the changes to the benefit system that are, that's in the news at the moment, to the war on terror, to our business ethics, 
to gossiping or bullying that might happen in the workplace or at college or wherever we're at about family fallings. What does our message have to say? Is it extraordinary? Will it challenge? Are we just blending in? Are we chameleon Christians? We look and act the same as those around us. We have nothing of real worth to say. I don't believe that's true. I think our message has lots to say. Someone once said this to me, which I've I've always found quite challenging, is if you were arrested for your faith, would there be enough evidence to prosecute? It's It's a challenge. So what can make our message extraordinary? Whatever it is, God has placed us. Well, I think from the example of the apostles that we've seen this morning, there are two things. I think firstly, keep Jesus at the heart of the message. The apostles didn't come with some new fancy message or some new mystical technique on how to reach God. They were simply witnesses to Jesus. And they were clear and confident in that. And that's what changed, challenged, disturbed everything. They were disturbers of the peace with their message. And secondly, it takes courage. We may find that people dislike what we say because it changes everything. If you have a vested interest in the way things are, you don't want to know that you have to change, that what you're doing isn't right. It unsettles people. And so it takes courage to do that. As I said earlier, the the apostles aren't sort of congratulated by the Sanhedrin. Well, thanks for pointing that out to us. I'm glad you did. They are beaten and flogged. And of course, that's just the beginning of the persecution of the church. But at the end of the chapter, it says this. The apostles left the Sanhedrin rejoicing because they'd been counted worthy of suffering disgrace for the name. Day after day in the temple courts and from house to house, they never stopped teaching and proclaiming the good news that Jesus is the Messiah. Of course, that doesn't mean that every time we get a hard time from somebody that we're to be congratulated. Sometimes we'll be in the wrong. We have to accept that. But if it's for the right reasons, we too may be counted worthy of suffering disgrace for the name. I find this, this uh, verse from First Peter especially challenging. It says this, If you should suffer for what is right, you are blessed. That's so not the way that we think. If you will suffer for what is right, you are blessed. Let's make our message extraordinary. Let's fill Jerusalem with with our message and change those uh, around us. Thank you. It would just be good uh, now just just to take some time to pray. pray, Praying for others, interceding, you know, for for, um, Katrina, especially at at this moment as she's uh, off at the moment. Hopefully at this time would be a time of restoration for her and she'll come back uh,
full of energy and, and, and life for the task ahead. You know, and to pray that, you know, that our witness would be extraordinary here in the West End. You know, because that's what we want. We want our churches to be places of, extra, of, extraordinary, of an extraordinary message that brings people in. So we just pray that for Katrina. Also, I don't know if you've been reading over, over the, the past week, I touched on it you know, during the sermon about the, uh, the benefit system which is in the process of being changed. And uh, last week, several of uh, the churches sent, sent uh, letters to uh, Downing Street, the, the Baptist Union of Great Britain, the Methodist Church. Uh, they all sent, you know, appealing that there would be a rethink of, of, uh, of what's happening there. And again, it's just part of our message being extraordinary, you know, that we're here for the week, you know, that we're not, we're not satisfied uh, you know, with, with the way things are being done. And of course, lastly, um, in the Far East, the Far East at the moment, there's this. You know, war looks more likely every day, whether it's just saber-rattling going out, out there in North Korea, we don't know. This morning in the news, the, 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 the United States have decided not to go ahead with some uh, rocket testing in that region. So hopefully that can be maybe the beginning of a process that will see peace out there in, in that part of the world. So why don't, why don't we just take a moment uh, just to pray for those three things just now. I'll lead us in that, but if, you, if, there's a, if you, the Lord's placed something on your heart, just, just pray that to yourself as well. Yeah. Yeah, dear Lord, I just thank you that you give us this opportunity to have this extraordinary message. And I thank you, Lord, that you have that you raise up uh, ministers in our land to head us in that. And we thank you for Katrina for being that in this place. And we just ask, Lord, that you would just give her rest at this time, that she would come back to our, to our family here at Hillhead, at our church, feeling energized and restored, ready for the next chapter of the message that you want to give to her. And Lord, we pray too for our land where the difference between rich and poor seems to grow steadily day by day. That this changes to the benefit system which I can't say I claim to understand but which seems so unfair and seems to, to penalise the weakest in our land. Lord, help us as a church to be a witness against that and just to show, our, again, our extraordinary message that we have that is for the poor and for the weak. And Lord, we also pray for the Far East where there's so much uncertainty, the threat of violence, nuclear violence in that land. And we just ask, Lord, that your peace would reign, that you'd bring those who are in charge round the table to negotiate that a way would be, be found because it, as so often happens, it's, it's the common people that will suffer most, Lord. And we just ask that there would just be a way found around this. That this wouldn't just be about the ego trip of some young dictator. Yeah, Lord, just change hearts and minds in that land, Lord. Bless you, Lord, that your goodness spreads throughout all the world. Thank you, Lord. Amen. Let me just close.
uh, just with the grace. It used to be our, certainly it used to be our uh, practice at Queen's Park to say this to one another. Uh, so why, why don't we do that? May the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God, and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with us all.